Breadbox Media Programming is brought to you by CatholicSingles.com is ringing in the new year with savings for singles. You can save 20% by using the promo code BREADBOX when you register for a new account. Come meet other faithful Catholics and make 2020 a year to remember. Welcome to Liturgy Live. My name is Alana Berg, and with me, as always, is Father Ian Van Heusen, and we will be discussing the second Sunday in Ordinary Time. How are you doing, Father? Doing well, Alana. I'll, I'll be talking about more as we go along, but the big news is I got a new dog, a uh, big dog, a uh, German Shepherd. Um, no, I'm not compensating for anything. Uh, <laughs> everybody's, yeah, that's a joke. Uh, the, the, when you get a big dog. But anyways, um, let me get into a little bit while she's sharing and letting everybody know what we're up to, get a little bit into my opening monologue. So a few weeks ago, I was at SLS in Phoenix, and I was doing a lot of uh, video content with Father Mike Schmitz, uh, Sister Miriam, I'm totally dropping names here, Sister Bethany, uh, Damon Owens, Jason Everett, uh, Dr. J- Jonathan Reyes, but especially those first few, I-, I was really struck by the fact how good they are on camera and how good they are at delivery, like just the excellence of what they're doing. And, and of course, I, mean, I knew a lot of the topics. A lot of the topics are things that we've discussed on the podcast that I've gone over many times in my own content. I was like, but these guys are particularly good. Like they are really freaking awesome. And what happened as I was reflecting on that more and more, this was a very positive thing, was I realized most of my life I've been at least number two maybe further back, maybe number four or number 20. And thinking about that, like, you know, you think about that NBA, the, the, the number 20 on the top 20 players, right? Or at the high school, whatever. I, I've never been, one time I was MVP of my high school soccer team my senior year. But outside of that, I've never been number one. I've, I did win a few awards in seminary, but like I never won the preaching award. I was never like seminarian of the year kind of thing or whatever. And they don't have an award like that. But, but there's a sense that I was never quite, number one. I was always number two or number three. And thinking about that, like, and and realizing that that part of my personality has always been formed is that I've always had the extra effort. Like that, that's been one of the qualities that I, I don't think I would ever say that I'm the most gifted in one area. So like, for example, I don't think I'm the smartest theologian or the smartest with theology. I think I do good. I think I bust my hump to do good. Um, I wouldn't say I'm the best preacher, but I bust my hump to be the to be better, and that's what I've learned from being number three or number four. And I was thinking about that in connection with this week's gospel, which is John the Baptist, where that willingness to say, you know, I must decrease and he must increase. You know, how do we? Because right now, you know, the opposite. The problem we have right now in society is when people encounter people that are better than them. Often, what they do is they try to knock them down, right? So that CEO shouldn't be making that much money. I need to knock him down or those athletes shouldn't be making that much. Or I'm jealous of somebody who has more than me, or I'm jealous of what they have and I put them down or I mock them. It's like, I what I've come to appreciate is just delighting in that being okay with the fact that you're not number one. Does that make sense? Makes total sense. And I think even in our, in the culture, in some parts of the areas of our church in the culture, we can tend to look at other people with more of a Puritan, like 
mindset where we can see something and be like, yeah, but we can, but this person isn't perfect in this way. So I don't have to listen to what they say. Do you know, yeah. do you know what I mean? So is it like tearing them down in that way for a reason that's not necessary, not, so, not yeah. necessarily legitimate, um, even though it could be, but at the same time, it, it's really uh, puritanical where, where it's like, yeah. you have to be perfect, perfect in all ways for me to even listen to what you're going to say. And, I, and I'll reframe it a little bit for you. Yeah, um, thank you. you know, Maria has a great quote. He says, anybody, and I, I turned this into a video a while back, anybody can take a beautiful piece of art and destroy it. Not everybody can create a beautiful piece of art. And, and one of the things that you learn early on in the spiritual life is you can point out everybody else's faults. And sometimes people do that to the extent that they avoid having to change and having to grow. Right. Um, whereas, you know, my big thing was, was when I was listening to these people, like I was, I was studying them, you know, I studied their content. Like how do they, how do they present things? Um, you know, how do they rip them, ripping some of their ideas or ripping mm -hmm. some of their, you know, depending on what it is, you know? Right. And sometimes it's okay to, to pick things apart and look at things for what they are in light of, of the teaching of the church, but to um, tear people down publicly in order to not have to take them seriously is kind of where I was going in, yeah. in that way that we have to be careful yeah. with that. Yeah. And, there, and there's all kind of, I mean, yeah, absolutely. Um, in, but which, in which John the Baptist didn't do. So exactly, back to like exactly. The theme. That's what I'm getting at. I mean, because I think the the obvious reading is like always that, well, you know, John the Baptist steps out of the way for Jesus, right? Right. Um, which is of course true, but like, mm -hmm. how do we apply that to our own lives? And and yes, there's us stepping out of the way and leading people to Christ, but like, how would you feel about being the number three player on the the best basketball team? You know, where like you're playing with Michael Jordan, and like. You're Scottie Pippen or you're – I mean, see, it's funny because, you know, uh, Kobe Bryant, sports analogy, Kobe Bryant and Shaq, they had a great thing going, but their egos, they both had to be number one, right? I think I'm going to mention this in the homily on Sunday. Like, yeah. that's, they could have they had a be better dynasty than Jordan and Pippen, but the problem was, was they had two egos. Yeah. Like, I, I, I think they won, they won a lot of championships, but they didn't win as many as the Bulls. Yeah, because and, because ego really destroys team teamwork. Yeah. So. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um. And yeah. Are you ready for the reading? Let's get in the first reading. Get in? All right. Let's jump in. All right. I almost um, feel like we should just talk about the gospel first, then go back. <laughs> <laughs> we never, we never get to it. All right. Well, the second reading is really short too. They're both really yeah. short, so we can right, okay. we can go quickly. First reading is from Isaiah. The Lord said to me, you are my servant, Israel, through whom I show my glory. Now the Lord has spoken, who formed me as his servant from the womb, that Jacob may be brought back to him and Israel gathered to him. And I am made glorious in the sight of the Lord, and my God is now my strength. It is too little, the Lord says, for you to be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and restore the survivors of Israel. I will make you a light to the nations that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. So I think we can look at the, this maybe three different ways. Um, yeah. This, that crisis is, you know, the, the fulfillment of this, yeah, but also in, yeah. And in some ways a little bit, not much less so, but John the Baptist 
who does is a light and and does really uh, bring sometimes uh, brings Israel out of Jerusalem into uh, the wilderness seeking this baptism of repentance and sometimes you know and also the church because we are the light of the nations yeah um, the thing that really when I was studying and praying this morning is it's too little says the Lord for you to be my servant that really stood out to me because what Christ said that we are no longer servants we are friends so I really that really stood out to me so that's kind of where I where I was at this morning. Yeah, that's great. Great. So here's a question for you. So going back to my earlier theme, how would you feel if this was said about somebody in your family other than you or like a friend of yours or somebody other than you, that you would then like, you would have to be second to or third to like, think about that. Like, you know, this is the whole, like, I remember King David when they, they anointed, they're like, who, who, who was it? Was it King David? They're like, him really him like i don't know if it would no king david was a good he was a good he he had a lot of good prospects yeah, i think his brothers were like this guy he's yeah the exactly. little guy the runt <laughs> exactly i think a little bit that but th- we'll think about that for a second because i mean we all love the idea of like us being that person right how do we feel about like your sibling being that person or like or your you know it would definitely be a hum- humbling thought. It's definitely a humbling thought, but also we like to be the hero of our own story. Yeah. That's, and we want to be the hero of our own story. What if, what if you were a character? The, what, what if you were, your job was to be the supporting actor? Or the, right. Or um, the, and I feel like sometimes it is. I mean, as a wife, sometimes my job is to be, you know, especially in the military context, it was to be the supporting person whose my husband's job was to play a role that I had to support, you know, mm-hmm. in, in, in that life, in the lifestyle of, of the military world. And I feel like I was okay with it. I mean, I feel like I'm okay with that. I actually transitioning out of the military world into the civilian life. I now have to figure out my identity, not as a military spouse, mm-hmm. which is like very interesting because I don't, not, not because I'm not comfortable with who I am, but to be able to say, people say, what do you do? And I could just say, well, I'm a military spouse. And that covers so much information of understanding, you know, when people kind of understand what that means. Like, oh, your husband must be gone all the time. Okay. You guys have moved a lot. And that's my job is to be, you know, it's my, that was my job to be support my husband and my children and be this, you know, supporting character. So now I don't have, I'm a retired military spouse, but I don't know what that means. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I'm in a trans transition stage of. That makes what sense. It, you know, well, when I realized that I, part of it, you, you identified something and what you're saying is, is also part of it is like, what, well, what do you tell people? Right. Right. Like, you know, you know, how does Scotty Pippen describe his role for the, the Chicago bears? I helped Michael Jordan win games <laughs> you know, yeah. or, or Steve Kerr, who's the three point shooter. Like I don't do a whole lot. I mean, my job's important, but you know, I'm like number yeah. four. Yeah. Yeah. But sometimes the supporting role is the rock, you know, it is, yeah. it is makes it the person who needs to do the main role, gives them the opportunity and the freedom to do that. 
because they have the support or the, you know, what's necessary from that, that second person. So I feel like maybe I have more of an understanding of what you're saying in that way. Yeah. And it's not, but not necessarily in terms of like popularity. Cause I think yeah. that's kind of like what you're saying in a certain way where these people are well, outshine that, it, outshining yeah. and are. Well, that would be like your competition, like who outshines you. Which right. is a little bit, you know, it's a little bit different. Right. Um, so. It's, yeah. It's just interesting. Cause I mean, I, I would say generally speaking the idea of being number five was not like, I didn't like it. I didn't like it at all. Um. <laughs> I mean, I said last week, I feel like I'm always like in the middle and I'm, I'm okay with that. I'm not a competitive person though. Oh, I'm super and I, competitive. <laughs> and I know. So, I mean, we work well because, because then we have, we're able to balance each other in that way. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm more of a cooperative person. And so not being the best is probably easier for me because then I can find people I can cooperate with, you know, you yeah. know, and some people, sometimes I cooperate with people who are competitive. <laughs> You know, and that gives me an edge, and that I don't have to like yeah. stress them. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. But See, and that, yeah, and I think there's a few there's a few different angles, but um, see, that's. I wonder this thought. I don't know if this is a, a heterodox idea or incorrect. What about the idea of competing with Jesus, like trying to be as good as Jesus? Like, I wonder, I wonder, I mean, if the apostles had a little bit of that. See, I, I, actually, it kind of makes sense that maybe not a competitiveness, but like. Well, we're all called to be like Jesus. Yeah, exactly. So, so I don't, maybe. Just I mean, you can't be better well. than Jesus because there's no, no nothing better than perfect. But, but I, I, I would imagine that he definitely motivated them around, motivated everybody I mean, around I feel him. like that's what called a discipleship is, is to learn how to be like Jesus and that we fall short and we see the disciples falling short all of the time, um, but learning and, and move, you know, moving on from it quickly, but really, and they, they really do that with each other, not so much with Christ. Well, we always, we always associate competitiveness with, com, with um, competitiveness with, uh, trying to put somebody else down. So mm -hmm. me being supplanting somebody else, maybe a better way of putting it is also striving for excellence. Like okay. striving to be the, striving to be the best. Right. And okay. I think in, in terms of the disciples, like James and John were always comp competitive against each other, wanting to be the closest to Christ, yeah. wanting to be next to him in the kingdom. You know what I mean? Sitting on his right. But it worked side. out well for John. I mean, Right. And, and um, so, so I, I feel like there was something right and there was something wrong. Right. So, yeah. so Christ had to separate the good drive from, from the bad, the bad drive. Does that make yeah, sense? Of course. Yeah, of course. That's what it's all about. Yeah. That's what it's all about. I and mean, that's kind of, that's what my, my, my thinking is towards. Right. Well, cause I mean, the, the worst is like, um, worse than being number 20 or being number 10 or whatever, or five, is if you're content with that. Well, I don't know if content's the right word. If you're not striving to be better, like, cause even the guys who are number one are striving to do better. So they're, they're even competing against themselves. They're competing against some ideal. Right. So yeah, I mean, from an athletic standpoint, 
Um, but even I think you said like uh, John Vianney, his first assignment as a priest, him and his pastor were very competitive from, from what I've heard in the biographies and they would try to compete with that, who would do more penances, who would, who would be more devout, who'd be more pious. Right. Uh, and, and, they, and I mean, I, that can get out of hand and it can turn ugly, but at the same time to have someone to work with in that way and, and be accountable to, you know, to strive for holiness, I think is a good thing. Uh, and, and really, isn't it the humility prayer where we say, where we pray uh, for other people to be as holy as they can be, as long as I am, you know, yes. as long as I am as holy as I reach the holiness standard that I'm called to. Yeah. That's not right. That's not verbatim, but yeah, that's pretty close. That's pretty close. Um, so, so I feel like we should pray for and wish for others to be better than us in even in holy, even in the sanctification of the, of them and that we can strive for that, but also strive for our own. So I really think that we have to be careful in when we talk about these analogies that, that we're including the holy, the humility part because, and like you said, like the competitive doesn't necessarily mean to put others down, but, but it's, it's that yearning for, for greatness. Yeah, right. Instance. Yeah, and and the striving, not necessarily against everyone else, but sometimes that helps the motivation. Well, and if you think about it, so so if you're striving, like let's say hypothetically you're an athlete, and your goal is simply to be better than everybody else, you could hypothetically rest at the top and be like, "Well, I'm the best now," but. Well, I mean, actually, then they recognize that somebody could soon come along. But yeah, I, I was thinking about there's there is something about striving after an ideal that doesn't ha- it doesn't have to like put other people down. Is what you kind of were saying, right? Kind of agreed it's, on. It's more of a I I feel like it should be at least more of a magnetic thing where it's like when you're striving, other people will see and want to be like you. And I feel yeah. like that's what we're called to versus a pushing everybody away so then we can get yeah. get ahead. Like, and yeah, and that's the worldly way. way. Yeah. Yeah. What yeah. did you say? I didn't hear. I said, get out of my way, suckers. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, so instead of, instead of you, you know, climbing to the top of the ladder in, on top of everyone, we're just trying to bring everybody else up with us. Yeah. Right. So I feel like that's, I don't know if we're still on track for the reading, but, but in terms of. No, no I think we are. Yeah. In terms of, you know, not calling us servants, but friends, I think that has a lot to do with well, I think, our I think attitude it should be. I think it's a good gut check is how would you feel if the first reading was said about somebody other than yourself? Like um, your best friend, your, 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 I don't want to say your enemy. That might be a little extreme, but maybe, maybe your enemy. Mm-hmm. Like maybe like a hypothetically they have a conversion and like, and, are, and do great you, things. Yeah. Yeah, how would you feel about that? Like, right. um, if I think it would be harder. I think because if if I knew their background and if they were really in sin and then they made a conversion and went really well, I feel like that would be harder for me to accept. Yeah, maybe Does that's that something to bring up. Yeah, maybe that's something to bring up. I was thinking about that. Like, if your enemy, yeah, if your enemy, I mean, I think it would be very hard. I mean, yeah, you, but you then have, to accept that Christ has that power 
to convert people. Like, the, like conversion is real. I know my conversion was real. You know, I was, you know, much greater sinner than I am now. <laughs> you know, yeah. thank, thanks be to God that I have been able, you know, have had the chance to grow yeah. in faith. And, um, though I, I will say some of the people that have, that have done me wrong that I was kind of angry at, they told you about my good Friday meditation. I feel like I've talked about you, it on the podcast. You probably have. Yeah. Um, I don't want to go through the whole thing because it's kind of a whole nother tangent. But there's a few people that I had some real hatred towards kind of work through. And um, if they converted and were like flourishing and, and did great things in the name of Christ, uh, it would be bearable if they were like, sorry for like how they treated me or expressed mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. I think, well, but that would be, I think part of the conversion. They'd have to recognize what they'd done was, but even then, yeah, if it wasn't, if it, I don't know, the, the ability, like an apology would help a lot. But there's some people, an apology, not for me personally, but some people, the, the pain is so real that the apology doesn't, doesn't, doesn't touch it. Yeah, it doesn't. Yeah, and that really has a lot to do with our own ability to forgive, you know, yeah. with, with the grace that we're given. But if we, if we don't even have that, because we're not entitled to knowing other people's hearts when they're conversions, right? Even, especially if we see them afar and we're like, I know their past and something happened. And even if you don't, you know, like, can you be happy for them and, and believe that it's real, you know, if, even if you don't have that. I think when there's, there's contrition and like, I'm sorry Mm -hmm. and uh, making amends, that is powerful because I've experienced it a few times I don't want to get into who they are. Um, hopefully I'm not revealing too much, but I know a couple of priests um, in various capacities who went away for treatment for treatment. And one of the surprising things was, I, th- I think at this one particular treatment center, they like sit them down and say, look, you need to tell people you're sorry. Like you need to be sincere mm-hmm. because both the people kind of like expressed in a similar kind of way. Like they, that somebody had kind of sat them down, that they were sorry for some of the things they had done. And they weren't even done directly to me, but just that sense of the ripple effects that like bad behavior can have. Is this making sense? Mm-hmm. And it's not too vague that it doesn't make sense. I hate that sometimes when you're trying to like, sometimes you risk being too vague. When you, like, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's okay. So, um, but I was, I was, in one particular case, I was profoundly shocked at how powerful a sincere apology or an apology was and a willingness to, to take blame. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause it's not like I hated the person or had strong feelings against them, but they had done some pretty messed up stuff. And I was kind of like on my guard and like, Oh man, I, I got, I, I know I'm not looking forward to this conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But it's, it's nice for you to feel the power that, yeah that that brings right so then you have an experience of of understanding like what seeing what contrition looks like and actually getting an apology and stuff like that yeah so um we have a comment michael party says good afternoon alana and father ian happy new year happy new year to you michael thank you for joining us and um somebody named buddy tupas uh left a really long prayer for financial blessings so thank you buddy for that um, and so that's what we have for our comments. And you ready for the second reading? Yeah, let's go. Short. 
uh, from 1 Corinthians. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Sosenthes, our brother, to the church of God that is in Corinth. To you, you who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be holy, with all those everywhere who call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, this is the first three lines, verses of First Corinthians. So it is Paul stating who he is, what, he, what authority he speaks with, um, and to who he's speaking to, um, and the universal call to holiness, and who we are all, all sanctified through Lord Jesus Christ. It's a greeting. This is how he begins his letters uh, most of the time. So, Yeah, and there's a sense he establishes his identity, the identity of the community. Mm-hmm. The defi- and, of course, the defining characteristic is Christ's work in the person, which I, and I don't know if you picked up on this ever, but you know, a big topic always in youth ministry is identity, right? Like, mm-hmm. how do we identify? It's a big issue with young people, right? High school, college. What do you identify with? Do you identify with your talents? I'm the jock, I'm the soccer player, I'm the, you know, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting, of course, we have to identify with Christ. Um, but see, you know, that's interesting. I think, so a principle, getting at with identity, to kind of go a little bit deeper with identity than, we, than, than some youth talks tend to do. No, I'm not knocking. I'm just saying it's just the nature of the talk, right? Um, it's like you're, you're introducing the concept to like high schoolers. Um, so in discernment and in your emotional life, when you've come to experience spiritual realities, such as contemplation, when you've connected that deeper stillness, when there's cloudy emotions on the surface and there's pain and there's suffering, there's a deeper foundation that you're more steady, that things are less chaotic um, versus somebody who's, who kind of lives for their passions. Like, you know, that they, they live for their pleasure, they live for their comfort and they, they live in their passions mostly. I think the same thing can be said for like identity that when your identity is in Christ and even when you're intentional, like you've thought about yourself in an intentional way and you've, but so I think this is also part of the trauma that people have like with PTSD and, and different things is when they encounter something where they see another side of themselves or they discover something in themselves that they never knew before, it like shatters their whole understanding of who they are. Mm-hmm. Um, or I just think that, about humanity in general. Like yeah, and that too. The evil of humanity in general. Yeah, evil. Um, and I think also in different – you talked about like the transition from being mm-hmm. a military spouse like – and then there's the big one is also like when your kids leave, like empty nesting kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but if your identity is at a deeper font, you, you can transition hypothetically. I mean, I don't want to be critical of people who struggle with some of this stuff, but, but I would say as a general principle, the deeper, the deeper you're the foundation in Christ, the sturdier you are. And I completely agree. And I think it's good that youth, the youth ministry is is going into that and is really focusing on that um, because they'll need it for the rest of their lives. But it's necessary for everyone to be to, to to hear about identity and how we're called to be, you know, have our identity in Christ and what we do flows from who we are in Christ because we're yeah. always asking the question, 
what are we going to do? We're always asking our, you know, the people from our country, you know, our leaders, what are you going to do? And mm -hmm. none of the time, like we never focus on who we called to be because mm -hmm. who we're called to be is what we're called to do. It like flows, flows naturally from that standpoint. So if we don't think about the first thing, the second thing is disjointed and um, tends to sometimes be twisted. You know, it can lead into not good, not good things. Yeah. And, it can be and, distorted or just non-intentional where you're right. just reacting or something like or that. Or not even based in reality. Yeah. And there's, I mean, there's a lot of problems with identity based issues that, yeah. that sometimes that we just go along with when it's not real. Um, and, and that really fractures who we are and how we relate to Christ and how we relate to God and mm -hmm. how can we even understand ourselves in that way. You know, mm -hmm. and then, and then what, if you're not found, the foundation isn't there, then how are you supposed to know if you're doing God's will? How yeah. are you even supposed to hear God's will? <laughs> you know? Absolutely. So and going back to our earlier question, the, I think striving for excellence becomes disordered when we're using it as a means of filling some hole in our life. The, 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 you know, lack of love from a parent, um, uh, lack of self-esteem uh, self is a, a difficult one. Jordan yeah. Pearson's big against that, but it's but it's more like if we're making up for the the restlessness of our hearts because if we're if yeah. they don't rest in God, like I really think that that's kind of all encompassing, and <laughs> in, in why we search out these things because we're searching for Christ. In in those things, we're actually searching for what will f fulfill us. We're just looking in the wrong places. Yeah. So so finding our identity in Christ helps us find the fulfillment we're, that we're searching for and that we're longing yeah. for um, in a, in an ordered way, not in a disordered way, but it's hard because our culture oh, no. sells, sells yeah. these things, you know, disordered things well, to us. Well, there is something perhaps um, not counterintuitive, but um, maybe counterintuitive about the path of Christian perfection of, 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 you know, divinization of a mystical union that it's um, it, on the surface, it looks the same as striving to be number one, but it's at the same time profoundly different because, because it's almost a striving to be nothing. Yeah. I think it, yeah, I think that there are different lenses that can be looked on, looked through, and some of the lenses can be distorting, depending on who's, who's viewing it, right? So someone who is pious, who's trying to do their best, can be viewed by someone else as they think they're better than everyone, when that's not even, like, the case. Does well, that make yeah. sense? Well, I mean, just a difference is the authentic search for mystical union versus striving to be Michael Jordan, because the the path of the path of mystical union involves self abnegation, a dying to self, um, which is the opposite. Um, I don't think they're completely dissimilar. And I think there's there's practice, there's hard work, there's effort, there's mm -hmm. motivation. But yeah, now I think there's also a lot of counterfeits, which and I think I don't know if we've covered this before. One of the things I've often seen as a counterfeit is um is uh the overemphasis on discipline 
I, I have seen this sometimes where people will hold up models of people they want to they want to consider holy, who they're kind of maybe still on the beginner level. They just have a lot of discipline, like they have a strong will. Okay. Um, but discipline and having a strong will is not the same thing as holiness. Um, yeah. It just helps in the beginning. It can, it can. You know, I was actually thinking it could also be a hindrance too. It, it's, 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 it's not always clear because I was thinking about this with my dog. So my new dog, I was walking him, I was walking him to the dog park and I'm definitely going to work this into some content. And uh, definitely this idea is going to appear multiple times in the coming year. But, um, but I was walking the dog to the park and he wanted to go in every direction, but towards the park. And if I let him go any direction he wanted, we would have never gotten to the dog park, right? And if I let him stop at everything he wanted to stop at, so I had to really discipline him to get him focused on staying on the way. And what occurred to me with him, and I thought this was a metaphor for Will, he's a big dog, which makes it a lot harder. Like if he was a small dog, it would actually be much easier to dominate him and get him on the right path. And like, so the strong will, now the good news is though, like, with a strong-willed person or a strong-willed dog, once you channel that strength, it's a lot of strength, right? So like- Going the right direction. Going the right direction. Like, so hypothetically, let's say you have a working dog. Hypothetically, I mean, let's just use like an analogy. If you get them going the right direction, you could like attach like weight to them. Like you could have them carry stuff. You could have them, whereas like a little chihuahua, you can push them around, dominate them, make them go that direction, but he's not going to be able to, you're not going to be able to get a lot out of them. Right. More passive. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think that's a good metaphor sometimes for people with their capacities. Um, that but once, once you capture the attention and, and, uh, the, and the understanding of, of someone with really strong will, then they're really, you know, a force of nature in that they way where, right. where holiness might, once they get that, like it reminds me of Augustine, St. Augustine. It reminded, you know, he had a will to do all of the things that he was doing. And it yeah. took some time, took a long time for God to yeah. cr crack open that will and understanding and, you know, place his will on in the mind and heart of Augustine. But, but he once, he, once he did, then he was able to take all of that will and, and drive and go the right direction with him. And, and master the spiritual life in a pretty quick time, right? Because he was yeah. like... Because when did he, how old was he when he converted? Like 34, 35? Something like that. Yeah, so like in his late, mid to late 30s. So he had a conversion, and then he's made a bishop shortly thereafter. Right. And so I really think that it's, it is so hard to gauge other people's holiness. I don't even want to, usually want to try. That's why I was in the beginning when I was talking about, like, we, we, shouldn't be so puritanical about, you know, when we look at other people because they too are on a path. And, oh, I can totally gauge it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's what I do. That's my job. <laughs> I'm not going to. Um, <laughs> what it's different. It's hard to explain. When you hear people's interior life and you really start to hear it, then you can start to, you, it, it, it makes more sense. It's not about how many rosaries a person says. It's not about. Right. I agree. But uh, what I'm saying is like, what, I'm really speaking to the dumpster fire that is Twitter. That's Oh yeah. Like, that's, that's, a, <laughs> that's, that's where so I'm going with this. Oh, that's so count. I mean, that is, <laughs> they, I mean, 
I, 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 so now you know I, what I'm talking about. Yeah, I like engaging <laughs> on Twitter. But, well, first of all, I'm convinced that a healthy percentage of those folks are absolutely crazy. Like, they're crazy people. Like, they're sociopaths. They're yeah. narcissists. Twitter yeah. is not real life. But at the same time. Well, it is real life. Those are real people. I know. The, the thing is, it's is just it's not a like, good gauge of all people. It's that one person in your parish that nobody likes. <laughs> <sighs> I mean, so, occasionally, it's I mean, just I should, so hard I mean, I'm a little harsh, but you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, are those people in the parish? It's just when you, when you didn't realize is they, they were like behind that kind of quirkiness was like a rage that you're like, Holy cow. I didn't <laughs> know is so mad at the world. Yeah. I just thought he'd kind of like, weirdly genuflect to like 30 times in an hour or something you know yeah, yeah yeah so so that's kind of where i was where i take that from that extreme that i take it from where where i don't think that tearing people down for the lack their lack of perfect holiness you know um that's where that's where really what i'm trying to to get at because because unlike you know when you are dealing with somebody in spiritual direction, you literally have that ability, you know, have the ability to look into their interior life and say, all right, this is where you need to go. But you're not judging them in a Puritan way either. No, no. Right. Exactly. So, so that's kind of like what I'm talking about, that, that we all need to see each other on, that we're on, in different places. And yeah. um, if someone has something good to say that's helpful for the spiritual life, even if their life is completely imperfect, like that, those are, you know, we have to judge each thing that somebody says by its truth. So and I will backtrack a little. I've, I've been, maybe been a little critical of the Twitter audience. So there's, <laughs> a, there's, there's groups of people that I do know for certain. So I, like, I have one parishioner I love talking with. We have a good time, but he can flirt with the line of being a troll. <laughs> Just flirt with it a little bit, you know? And so, and um, so I kind of know like the personality of some of the, the guys, and he's a younger guy, very opinionated. I, I think I, I, I don't think he's as much of a troll as other people. But I actually know somebody who um, was a troll, and they had some serious issues. Like yeah. I, I've known a troll personally, and they were really like that in person. It wasn't just like on social media. They were really like that in person. And um, but that troll behavior in person, like people didn't want to talk to them. They're like, oh, geez, yeah, you know? um, like yeah. Social media makes things interesting. It like amplifies it really them. Well, it gets all those people. Things. It gets all those people that would never be in a room together, like in a room together. Yeah. It's like, think about it. You're getting like one person in Michigan, one person in New York, one person in Florida who are anomalies in whatever location they're at. And suddenly now their voices are amplified with Twitter. Right. And then you have people like responding. Yeah, don't respond to trolls. I mean, that's yeah. a, sorry, that's a whole. The rule is don't feed the trolls. Yeah. The rule. I, I, I heard that. I mean, I heard that like five years ago, but you'd be surprised how, how everybody, they, 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 well, it's, it's almost like it does, it does. I think it does help your numbers. If you fight trolls, like it gets you incredibly distracted. But yeah. I, Cause I have seen, I think there's some people who, their numbers go up because they, they call out trolls all the time. Because mm. it's like they have a righteous enemy, right? Like, oh, yeah. And they, 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 they put up the banner and they're like, we're going to take over these crazy radical traditions. It's like, 
I, I'm not even convinced that they're all Americans. Some of those guys might be Russians just messing with you. You know, <laughs> I mean, that's a thing, right? Uh, I, I don't know. You haven't followed this. The Russians are like hiring people and setting up fake accounts. And I mean, so think of that, like your troll might be a Russian agent being like, Hey, got one. Yeah. That's you why know? you don't feed them. Don't feed trolls. But I mean, like the liturgy, I only have the liturgy live Twitter and like, I don't really post anything or share much. So I don't have, about. I don't have trolls. Yeah. <laughs> we don't have trolls. Yeah, we, and, we're, not, we're, uh, we're not looking for them. So don't apply. Um, <laughs> but so I haven't personally had to deal with that <laughs> because I just don't put myself out there in that way. Um, you know, like I said, not competitive for any sort of spotlight. Yeah, see, I'm all, I mean, I've, I, I have a, my smallest audience is Twitter and, um, but, I mean, I see a lot, a lot of the, the Twitter activity. Um, I'm fairly up to date. It does seem like the more controversial you can be on Twitter is the better. Um, the more, the more responses you get. Yeah. Yeah. It, it seems to be uniquely that way. Facebook, I think was, but I think Facebook people tune you out pretty quickly. Whereas Twitter, Twitter doesn't seem to have the same effect. Yeah. Um, because every everybody there is controversial. I mean, everybody. Uh, yeah. I mean, you, everybody. Yeah, let's get into the gospel. You ready for comments first? Oh, All yeah. right, Ryan Fisher is back. Thanks for joining. Oh, hey, Ryan. Um, up, he says this conversation about identity reminds me of when Jesus asks Peter, "Who do you say that I am?" I like to turn that question around and ask, "Who does the Trinity say that I am?" I think that's a, that lays at the heart of my identity as Christian. Amen. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Did you ever tell you the story about when I first became a priest and I had a sense of losing my identity? It's a weird feeling. I like, think so because we talked, maybe talked about how it related to mar- married life. Yeah, oh, yeah, become, right. Becoming a mom. That's right. We did. We did talk about that. Yeah, because that made its way into a homily too. That's right. Yeah. It was like a month, few months ago or maybe even in. I think it was a year ago. Maybe a year ago. It was yeah. the last. Yeah, we've been doing this for a time. long time, yeah. All right, but anyways, um, any other comments? Uh, yeah, Ryan says, Father Ian, you need a cat. They're self-disciplined. I don't know about that? that. He said, you need a cat. They're self-disciplined. No, <laughs> no analogies work for cats. Cats are like the opposite of what we're called to be. We're called to be dependent and obedient. Cats are like the opposite. Destructive. <laughs> I like cats, all right. But actually part of it, this was like my plan. My whole plan was I needed something to take care of and something to pull me away from work. Like, yeah, I completely understand. It's, yeah, it's something good like, to have a companion. In, yeah, something I have to think about that. Like, yeah. To care for. Exactly. To think about somebody else's existence. Exactly. <laughs> um, and I, I mean, he's sitting in his crate right now. I got to like, feed them tonight and you know all that and walk. <laughs> yeah but they have a personality but it's also needs. it's i feel like with a dog it is like it's more satisfying because like the dog's gotten calmer and calmer like training a dog is incredibly satisfying with the cat it's like they're either angry or they're nice there's so and many it, personalities yeah it's insane and it's just like you get what you get kind of you kind of figure it out yeah you have like, to decide if this cat's going to work for you if you yeah there's not really a whole lot of training. <laughs> At least I have. I mean, we used to have cats, but I'm allergic to so allergic to everything now that we have guinea pigs that I can't touch. 
Oh, wow. But they mostly stay in the cage, so I don't have to deal with their hair. And I'm allergic to the hay that, that they eat. So if I knew that, I probably wouldn't have gotten them, but it's fine. My daughter is happy. Um, Ryan says, we are planning a men's retreat at my parish, and we are all at a different point in our path, spiritual fitness. At the gym I used to work at, people were lifting heavy weight, others only resistance bands, some running, and some water aerobics. The same applies to our spiritual life. We're all at different places in our path. Yeah, it makes sense. And we all That's have different, different missions and different um, abilities, gifts. You know, sometimes those different things are apply. So I like that. Thanks, Ryan. Absolutely. All right, finally, the gospel. <clears throat> we talk a lot. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, we've gotten better about it. I mean, that's the whole idea of the podcast. You talk a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, when we started off, remember, we, we used to pull like a year and a half ago, two years ago. We did like pull things. We did. We did pretty. I mean, I feel like we've gone back and forth and being able to to focus on when when to change over. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes we don't game. get enough time for the gospel. So yeah. let me do the gospel. <laughs> All right. The gospel of John. John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. He is the one of whom I said, A man is coming after me who ranks ahead of me, because he existed before me. I did not know him, but the reason why I came baptizing with water was that he might be made known to Israel. John testified further, saying, I saw the Spirit come down like a dove from heaven and, re and remain upon him. I did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, On whomever you see the Spirit come down and remain, he is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Now I have seen and testified that he is the son of God. Okay, this is packed full of so much uh, great stuff. Um, the Behold the Lamb of God, we hear at Mass every Sunday or every day if you go to Mass. Um, and I think it's really interesting because he really testifies that he existed before me. So his, even though he was conceived after John the Baptist, he existed before John the Baptist. And... Um, and that he received a message from the Holy Spirit saying how he would know who, yeah. who the Messiah was and who he was preparing people for. Um, so it's really interesting because sometimes you think John the Baptist and Jesus, they're cousins. They must have known each other. John the Baptist must have known his cousin's mission the whole time. And that's not true. He says right here that, he knew because the spirit came down upon him. Yeah. So well, I knew, I knew like I have like 40 or 50 cousins. But I don't know. Say I would say, I mean, and I'm sure Jesus, they had way more back then. Cause I mean, every family you're, you're, you're reproducing. <laughs> um, so, I mean the potential for how many cousins and how many times did he actually talked to him growing up, right. maybe zero. Yeah. Cause I mean, if you live far away from your cousin, like I have cousins on the West coast, I don't see them ever. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I think maybe he knew of him or met him. Oh yeah, definitely. Times, I mean, definitely. But... I mean, I think he would have known from from his parents and from the prophecies and all that. Right. Like but... oh, like may they probably he probably heard the story of Mary coming to visit Elizabeth and him jumping in the womb. You know, he probably knew some of that. Yeah. Um, so 
But I just think it's interesting that, that it really shows that John the Baptist was really connected to the Holy Spirit and was able to receive the messages and see, uh, he was very receptive because he was able yeah. to see the Holy Spirit coming like a dove on, mm-hmm. on Jesus and, and was aware and looking for it. And I, I feel like we need to be more like that, mm-hmm. you know, be more striving, but also humil- in humility. To well, let's combine that a little bit with our later conversation. Mm-hmm. Are you willing to recognize around you the people who are doing better than you who are, or better? And see, and that's where I would say like what I've learned going back to like what I've learned from being not number one is I'm always having to identify what other people are doing better than I am and trying to grow in that. Like, and I think that's the mentality is that's, that takes a certain amount of humility and a certain amount of like um, self forgetting that you, you're able to admit the strengths of other people around you. Right. Mm -hmm. So like, for example, like take father Mike Schmitz, father Mike Schmitz is good looking man. But that's not why he's a great speaker. He is a phenomenal speaker. I mean, it's just, there are plenty of priests who are good looking who are not like awesome speakers, right? Right. And I mean, and people always say, well, he's the best looking priest, but there's, there's, a, lot of, there's a lot of good looking priests. But the big thing is, he is such a phenomenal speaker. I mean, I can show you the video and break it down for you. Just little things he does, like him and Sister Miriam especially, Sister Bethany, like little things that they do that you're like, that takes either a lot of training, a lot of patience, a lot of self-knowledge, a lot of physical grace. Like there's just, and yeah. And he probably has that charism. He has that gift that no matter how much you work on something, if you don't have that spiritual gift and that God and God is pouring the grace into your life to use that gift, it's not going to happen. We, we just can't force a gift, even no matter how much we want it. You know, sometimes yeah. other people have gifts that we don't have. Um, and not even, you know, just being number one, just a different gift, which is not something we would ever, you know, you, discernment of gifts is, is, you know, important, but also accepting other people's gifts. Exactly. And, and, and surrounding yourself. So like, so um, if you're egotistical, let's say you're the boss. Um, let's say you're a pastor at a parish, right? I'm not speaking about anybody here. I kind of am, kind of not. <laughs> and like, you're not the best public speaker or you're not the best organized. You're not the best businessman. Like in any given parish, you have awesome businessmen who are good with money that are willing to step up. You just have to ask for help. You have to have the ego to be like, you know, I'm not that good at this. I, I, I have the confidence in myself to recognize it. I'm going to ask for your help. I'm going to learn from you. Maybe you have other people in your parish who are better at speaking than you are. Or, or I mean, you're, you're going to have to give the homily if you're a pastor. Let's say hypothetically you're the leader and you go, so-and-so's a great speaker. Like, I'm going to have them lead the retreat because I know that everybody wants to hear them speak. Or I'm going to bring in a great speaker because it's not about me and my ego. But paradoxically, when you're able to do that as a leader, it actually brings more glory to you. It, it frees you up to do what you are meant to do. Yeah. It brings more freedom to your life because then you don't have to control everything. You know, that you don't yeah. have to like be physically in control of everything, like micromanaging. Yeah. You know, um, I've, I've found that I've kind of been thinking about that because of the, this resiliency project that I've been working with and thinking about like, what do I, what gifts do I not have 
that I need to be looking for in other people that I need to run a project for resiliency. And that's really helped me to say like, okay, I'm not good at hospitality. I need somebody who's good at hospitality. You know, I'm not good at, at graphics and design. It's just not, just not called to do that. I need Mm -hmm. somebody who's good at that. You know, so I'm able to look around me and say, those people are better than me in this. And I, and I can join, join them in, in a project that could bless both of us. And, and it would be free me up from having to worry about it, you know? Yeah. So absolutely. So, I mean, there's a sense in the, like the obvious reading, right? Is, is, you know, we forget ourselves. We let Christ shine, but like, are you able to let other people shine? Are you able to recognize the gifts of others and how hard that can be if you, if you have a fragile ego? It really takes a lot of self-knowledge and a lot of humility and self-forgetting. And sometimes, maybe with a, this goes into your competitive uh, sports analogy, but it's harder when the people are more like you and maybe in, in terms of gifts and, and personality, uh, but are better than you. Yeah. Does that make sense? So it's like, oh, I like them. They're a lot like me, but they're better than me. And that's a, that is threatening. Yeah. You know, that could be more threatening than somebody who has not even my gifts and I don't even need to like think about how much better than me that, in that that's way. That's a good point. So, so it's really just a, I have maybe just a different way I started thinking about it in this moment that I think that when we are surrounded by people who are more like us in temperament and gifts and that, that, that they tend to be better in ways that we wish we were, mm-hmm. you know, that that can be harder. Mm-hmm. And just to, and to rejoice in it yeah, and say, that's awesome. And strive for that, you know? Yeah. And be patient with yourself when you, when you don't feel positive emotions about it. Yeah, definitely. Which, which uh, the, you know, closing on that note. So I don't always feel positive emotions about not being number one. Let's a little bit of a confession there. Right. But the one thing I will say that I, I think everybody should consider that I counsel people on a regular basis is okay. So I pull up my Instagram. I see so-and-so has more followers than me and their last post is doing astronomically well, right? I feel a little tinge of jealousy, a little bit of self-conscious about, well, what am I doing? Why am I doing it? I will say this. This is where a really good freedom comes in. If you don't give yourself to that emotion, if you just feel it, you recognize like, hey, that's not where I want to go you gently reject it and you move on and you say, that's not who I am. That's not what I'm about. It's there. I, I acknowledge it. I let it go. That's not you and you haven't sinned. That just happens from time to time. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've, I've gotten into this a lot more so with sexual temptation, but I think with other ones, I think the reason why it's with sexual temptations is because those are the ones we feel the worst about. Um, whereas the jealousy stuff, we don't feel as bad about that at times. Like we don't feel like, we don't feel dirty about that. Like when you, when you have, when you have an extreme lust or attraction to somebody, you feel, you feel bad about it. Mm-hmm. Like, especially when it's uncontrollable. So but the thing I often talk with people, I'm like, okay, well, you felt sexual attraction towards this person who's other than your spouse, right? Like, was it for like five seconds, like half a minute? Like, did you dwell on it for an hour? They're like, Oh no, never an hour. I was like, well, how long was it? It was like, when they broke it down, it was like, it was like a minute, right? Okay give yourself a wiggle room. Like if you think about something for a minute and at the end of it, you decide not to give your consent to it. 
I think you're fine. Yeah. Does that make sense? It does make sense. Because then you say, right, you realize what you're like, oh, yeah, I'm thinking about something that I don't want to be thinking about and move on, you know? Exactly. And that's not you and that's not really, that's just a passing emotion. Mm-hmm. And like the less you identify with some of that stuff, you're just like, okay. It's not who I'm, you are. Exactly. It's not who you are. Um, yeah. um, because we that's have a, a, We have a question. Yeah, he sure. says, hi, Alana and Father Ian. I've been wondering why John has said he doesn't know Christ. The experience of the Annunciation and the Visitation have some encounters between the two. So, well, they Annunciation was just Mary and Gabriel. Yeah. Um, and the Visitation, yeah, he wasn't born yet. They're all in the womb, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so it could have just be, and he might not have, not have known that he was the Messiah. Yeah. Which you got to love about these gospel accounts, right? This is perfection, right? As I've gone back to, and yet it's like, it has sometimes more questions than answers in some regards. Yeah. But Um, it brings you deeper into, into meditation. And, and he knew who he was looking for in terms of what signs would be shown. Which, you know, actually, this is a good point. Actually, I think that is sometimes missed. Look at Mother Teresa. You can have a profound vision. The vision can be confirmed. Everything can be going great, and you still might struggle with doubt, right? Because yeah. she had, like, think about that for a second. She had a vision. Like, mm-hmm. God spoke to her, and, like, multiple times. Like, so she knows exactly what God sounds like. That vision was confirmed, and yet she still struggled. So right. John the Baptist, go switch and- and when he was in, in prison, he sent a letter asking if he was the one. Exactly. exactly. Even after he announced him as being the one. Exactly. So it's okay even to be already have the Holy Spirit like, like John has Which, since uh, the visitation. Exactly. And if you're in an organization where they're like, don't doubt anything, don't, don't ask questions, ridiculous. Like you could yeah. be John the Baptist, you could have a vision, you could be completely transformed by God's grace, probably pretty holy dude. And you're still like, hey, Jesus, I got some questions for you. Yeah, like, I, I just want confirmation. Just you know, give like, me something. Yeah. So yeah, it's like, okay. It's okay to ask Christ, yeah. you know, yeah. for for this. And it's, I think it's a good question. Um, yeah, so we're not shooting down your question. I think it's a great question. Yeah. That's, that's, that's part of the beauty of it is when you start to ask these questions of Scripture, I think if you, if you start from the standpoint that – we're trying to decide whether it's authentic or if it's perfect. That's when you get into some problems because it doesn't fit a worldly conception of perfection. But if you start from the standpoint that it is perfect, then it's like, whoo, that's revolutionary, right? Mm -hmm. Like there's something about this that's perfect that God is revealing himself perfectly through John's struggles with, with who Jesus is. Right. And his belief in who Jesus is and his struggles with it. It's like, I saw the dove come down. I know the prophecies. Mm-hmm. Dude, well, why, why, why isn't the kingdom come? You know, why, yeah. are we, why am I in prison? Right, because he might not, he probably didn't have a perfect understanding of what the kingdom looked like either. Yeah, and you know? I, I, I feel like I still don't. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, there's an element of mystery, you know. I feel like I'm learning right. stuff all the time. Right. That makes sense. Well, I'm about the age they were too. Hmm. Actually, I'm older than they were. 
Me too. Yeah. We're yeah. older than John the Baptist and Jesus. It happens. Yeah. So are you ready? It's time to go. Yeah. Yeah. It's, oh, it's time to go. Yeah. <laughs> pray right, us out. Let's, let's, let's pray. Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, I just lift up in a special way uh, a marriage that is looking like it's going to end in divorce right now um, from some folks I'm working with um, the, for healing for particularly the wife as she goes through the annulment process. I, I just pray for our, all who will listen or watch this. Pray for, especially for our regulars for, for um, why am I blanking on this? Ryan Fisher, for Jennifer, and for all those who support us on a regular basis. Um, with their comments and with their friendship, just help us to continue to build that, that community that builds up and rejoices in you. And I pray for Lana, for her family, for our ECU students, for my family members, and for St. Peter's Parish and for Lana's parish. And I ask you to bless all who will watch or listen to this. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you. Everyone Thanks. have a great week. So take me to the It's welling up, it's welling up in me, me. Nothing in the, nothing in the world satisfies like you. Oh, nothing under, nothing on the earth will ever be so true. Redbox Media Program. Looking for exceptional coffee delivered fresh to your door? We have the answer. Our friends at Grim Bean Coffee produce small batch artisan coffee using top tier coffee beans. The coffee is roasted when you order, guaranteeing the freshest coffee possible. Check out Breadbox Roasts, a new line of Catholic themed coffees Available at www.grimbeancoffee.com forward slash Redbox Media. Experience coffee like never before.